0: Hello, I'm Dr. Timothy O'Donnell, and I would like to welcome you to the St. John the Evangelist Library here at Christendom College, located in the beautiful Shenandoah Valley of Virginia. I'd like to welcome you also to this program, The Path to Rome, in which we're examining the captivity epistles of St. Paul. Today, we're going to continue our study of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, but let's first invoke the aid of the Holy Spirit. Please join me in prayer. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of thy faithful and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy spirit and they shall be created and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who did instruct the hearts of thy faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us by the same Spirit to have a right judgment in all things and ever to rejoice in his consolation through Christ our Lord, amen. Saint Paul, pray for us in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, let's pick up today in chapter two, starting on verse eight, and we'll continue on with our study with Paul's celebration of the great mystery that is revealed in Christ. There we read, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not from yourselves, for it is the gift of God, not as the outcome of works, lest anyone should boast. So again, the importance there, salvation comes from faith, not from the works of the law. Now, it's interesting to note that Paul nowhere says, anywhere in any of the epistles, that you're saved by faith alone. He says you are saved by faith because God's grace comes first, which gives us the opportunity to believe and then to perform meritorious good works. The point he's making here is there's nothing we did prior to the gift of grace that gives us the right to faith. It is totally God's gratuitous gift. Now, of course, when someone gives you a gift, it should make us respond with great love and great joy. And that's exactly what Paul wants the Christians to do here. And this is why there's no reason to boast. It's an opportunity to express profound humility, to recognize that even though we were unworthy, there was nothing we had done to actually deserve this. He still loves us so much that he wanted to share his life with us. And so we go on from there. For his workmanship we are, created in Christ Jesus in good works, which God has made ready beforehand that we may walk in them. In other words, through the grace he bestows, he allows us to perform meritorious works so we can walk. Walking is putting one foot in front of the next and constantly going forward as a pilgrim people towards our goal, which ultimately is to reach the kingdom of heaven. So he goes on. Wherefore, bear in mind that once you the Gentiles in flesh who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, that's what the Jews called the Gentiles, He goes on, in flesh made by human hand, bear in mind that you were at that time without Christ, excluded as aliens from the community of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Again, he wants to reflect upon where they were, what the world was like without Jesus Christ, We take so much for granted. We take our faith for granted. We take the fact that we have hope for granted. So much of the pagan world lived without hope, as if life had no meaning whatsoever. And a lot of times you'll find that type of cynicism among the Greeks and the Romans where they say, strange that you would think that life has a meaning or life has a purpose. Even a great Roman like Cicero, writing at the end of his life, says he believed that the path that his life had led meant him. he felt that there was some purpose to his life. But even a great Roman like Cicero couldn't really say what that purpose was. Try to imagine what it would be to live a life without hope. We're in the midst of suffering, a sickness, disease, moral collapse, not having any hope whatsoever. Paul is getting them to recall this to their mind. Also, the only people in the ancient world that had a covenant with God were the Hebrews, and the Gentiles were not part of that covenant, but that's all changed now. Let's look at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. He it is who made both one and has broken down the intervening wall of enclosure, the enmity in his flesh." How beautiful it is, that gift of peace. Christ is our peace. Remember, all of the prophets said that when the Messiah was going to come, one of the great gifts that he was going to give was going to be peace. So Christ does bring peace. And he mentions breaking down the intervening wall. Now, what Paul is probably referring to is in the temple precincts there were a number of outer courts. There was the court of the Gentiles, the court of the women, the court of the priests, all of these outer courts. And they were divided. Mayfield has more. Contract
1: negotiations that will resume Tuesday are aimed at averting a strike by three hundred and forty thousand UPS workers. The Teamsters' five-year labor deal with the shipping giant expires on July 31st, one week from Monday. A strike could paralyze many supply chains and do tremendous harm to the economy. I'm Mark Mayfield.
2: And the National Baseball Hall of Fame officially has two new members: first baseman Fred McGrith and Third baseman Scott Rowland were each inducted into Cooperstown yesterday. McGriff joins the Hall of Fame after being elected unanimously by the Contemporary Baseball Era Committee. McGriff notably won a World Series title with the Atlanta Braves during the 1995 season and was a five-time All-Star. Rowland helped the St. Louis Cardinals capture the 2006 World Series and becomes the 12th Hall of Famer to feature a Cardinals logo on his Hall plaque. Roland was voted into the Hall of Fame in his sixth year of eligibility. I'm kind of disappointed he's going in as a Cardinal, but I understand.
3: Yeah, I understand it. I understand. A long career.
2: He was a big, big help to the Cincinnati Reds at the end of his career.
3: But... I, and I appreciate that. Yes. Appreciate him for that. Of course, Fred McGriff— uh, the crime you, dog. You, the crime dog. Do you know why he was called the crime dog?
2: Well, because of McGruff.
3: McGruff, the crime, crime dog. dog. So uh, those of you children watching, watching, you know, Fred McGriff go into the Hall of Fame and don't understand, you know, McGruff the crime dog who, who used to take a bite out of crime. <laughs> he was a, he's a bloodhound. And he was very, he was very gruffy, which I think is why he was called McGruff. I wonder when McGruff ads stopped airing. I'm gonna have to look that up.
4: Yeah,
3: I'm Let gonna have know, to Matt. look that up.
2: Let us know. That'll be another, you know, future this week in Catholic history. Perhaps I don't know. We'll see. Actually, I don't know that there's any Catholic angle. Was to McGruff? That, I other mean, than the fact that McGruff was just mentioned on a Catholic radio program, he
3: might have been an Irish Catholic.
2: Today is Monday, July the 24th. Happy to have you along with us here on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's eight past. It's time for our weekly look at this week in Catholic history here on the Sunrise Morning Show with our Catholic historian, Kevin Schmusing, author of A Catholic Pilgrimage Through American History and with the Catholic History Trek podcast. Kevin, good morning.
1: Good morning, Anna.
2: So we're in the 1960s today for both events that we will be looking at at this week in Catholic history, starting with the death of a poet and educator whom I've never heard of. Tell us about her.
1: Yeah, this was July 25th, 1964, and Sister Mataleva Wolf is her name. I came across her autobiography a while back. I read it and I decided she's a remarkable woman. I need to do a segment on her. So here we are. Mary Wolfe was born in 1887 in Wisconsin into a mixed marriage, a Lutheran father and Catholic mother. She attended St. Mary's College. That's the Sister College of Notre Dame in South Bend, from back in the time when education, including higher education, tended not to be co-ed, so you had women's colleges and men's colleges. At St. Mary's, she decided to enter the religious life. She joined the Sisters of the Holy Cross, was given the name Madeleva. She was an impressive scholar, author and poet. She obtained a master's in English from Notre Dame and then a PhD in literature from the University of California, Berkeley. Now, Berkeley wasn't at that time what it would become in the 1960s, but still her religious habit was a shocking sight for most of her fellow students and professors, and she has a number of humorous anecdotes about that in the book. She was also a natural leader. She served as principal of an academy and then president of a Catholic college in Utah, and finally as president of her alma mater, St. Mary's in Indiana. She established there a school of theology, and at that time, it was the only place that offered graduate degrees in the subject, theology, for women. Under her leadership, St. Mary's became a prestigious institution. All this time, she continued to publish well-regarded collections of poetry. Sister Mataleva wrote her autobiography, My First 70 Years, in 1959. Two years later, she retired from St. Mary's College, and three years after that, she died. It was this week, July 25th, 1964.
2: I'm going to have to look up her poetry. Very interesting story, Sister Madeleva Wolf. Now, we're sticking with the 1960s on this same date, July 25th. Um, The promulgation of a document much more well known than Sister Madeleva Wolf.
1: Yeah, very well known. In fact, any history of the church in the 20th century will probably discuss this event because of its impact on the church and on the culture. It's Pope Paul VI's encyclical Humanae Vitae this week in 1968. There had been general consensus regarding the nature and ends of marriage, the marital act, and therefore the immorality of artificial contraceptive methods across the Christian world, including Protestant traditions, up to the early 20th century. At the major meeting of the Anglican Communion at Lambeth in 1930, the door was cracked open to the use of contraception by married couples, and soon that door would be flung wide open. In that same year, Pope Pius XI issued an encyclical, Costi Canubi, which reiterated the church's traditional teachings, including the ban on contraception. In 1960, chemical contraception, the pill, was introduced. This was a novel method that called for a new moral analysis. This, combined with changing cultural norms and fears of overpopulation in the 1960s, put enormous pressure on the church to modify the old teaching. The issue was brought up at the Second Vatican Council, but Paul VI decided to reserve to himself this particular matter. In the meantime, he formed a commission to study the question. In this cultural environment, and with leaks to the media by members of the Commission, much of the world, including many in the Church, believed that the Pope was going to reverse the moral disapproval of birth control. Humanae Vitae, dated July 25, 1968, released at a press conference four days later, proved those expectations false. The encyclical's first words are this, The transmission of human life is a most serious role in which married people collaborate freely and responsibly with God the Creator. Paul reaffirmed the teaching of Pius XI and the church's tradition. Many Catholics, including some bishops, priests, theologians, and lay leaders, dissented from Humanae Vitae more or less publicly, depending on the specific case. And some say the papacy has struggled to recover its authority ever since. But the church hasn't backed down from this sometimes difficult teaching. And subsequent popes, most notably John Paul II, have not only defended, but further articulated the reasoning for it, so that many Catholics have also come to embrace and admire it. But it was certainly a flashpoint in the development of the divisions within our culture and our church. It was 55 years ago this week. Humane July 25th,
2: 1968. Pope St. Paul VI pray for us. We've been talking to Kevin Schmiesing. You can find his book, A Catholic Pilgrimage Through American History, and his podcast, the Catholic History Trek podcast, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Kevin, as always, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Anna. You bet. All right, let's take a look at weather across the nation. Scattered afternoon thunderstorms are likely throughout the northeast and mid-Atlantic later today as humid weather returns. Scattered showers and thunderstorms will dot, dot the Gulf Coast in Florida during the afternoon, while drier weather should remain in place further north towards the Tennessee Valley. In the Midwest and Great Lakes regions, storm coverage will be rather hit or miss throughout the afternoon, but precipitation chances increase into the late afternoon, especially in the Ohio River Valley. Further west into the northern and central plains, there's a chance for organized thunderstorm activity this morning, especially in the lower Missouri River Valley. The rest of the day should remain quiet with the occasional pop-up thunderstorm. There will be widespread scattered showers and storms from Arizona to Montana today. And that heat dome nudges a little farther east today, bringing widespread 100-plus degree highs from California to Oklahoma. We got headlines coming up next. It's quarter past.
5: Are you looking for peace? Logging for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into a suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. And click on the red button today. It's free. Approved
6: by the U.S.E.C.B. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. Tis the season for iced tea.
3: If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine.
2: Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission.
3: While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available...
2: Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at SunriseMorningShow.com.
7: Hey, Alexa, how many ways can I get EWTN? You can get EWTN on television, via cable and satellite, on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire, and Google Play. You can get EWTN radio in your car on Sirius XM Channel 130 and on the go on any mobile device with the EWTN app. And here's the best news. Now you can get EWTN's great programming on me.
3: 17 past. Here's Anna with headlines.
2: There are more excessive heat warnings in place throughout parts of the United States this week. Pope Francis celebrated Mass with some 6,000 elderly yesterday for the Third World Day for grandparents and the elderly. And during his Angelus address yesterday, the Holy Father Reflected on the gospel of the wheat and the weeds.
3: News at the top and bottom of each hour, every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Uh, So Anna Mitchell, something cool happened at my parish, and it's actually happened a couple of times in the past several months. Uh, And that is, we brought somebody into the church during a regular old Sunday morning mass, the 830 mass. Um, Brought in a young gentleman, and congratulations to him. Uh, this morning. Super cool. He's uh, been a Welcome Catholic home. less than 24 hours. Uh, but, you know, it strikes me, and uh, I know we've talked about this before, that, man, I would love to see more real-life sacraments of initiation. During
2: Mass. During, during Sunday Mass. During the regular old Masses.
3: Mm-hmm. The, just the regular Sunday Masses. Uh, especially, you know, when it comes to bringing somebody into the church. Uh of course, Easter Vigil is when it's designed for baptism. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, although, you know, for an already baptized person, I feel like Pentecost makes for like a nicer kind of... Sure. I mean, I'm not in charge of these things. But for uh, for sort of abnormal situations, it sure is cool to be able to introduce people to the whole church at the Mass they normally go to.
8: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, and I mean, just... Infant baptisms as well would be great because as the entire body of Christ welcoming in a new member is a public act. It's not meant to be something private and cute for your family and your pictures. So you can take a bunch of pictures. This is a huge event for the church that you're welcoming a new member into the body of Christ.
3: Hence my very carefully crafted language there, Anna Mitchell welcoming someone into the church at the mass they normally go to. So if this family <laughs> goes to your, I don't know, 10 a.m. mass on Sundays,
8: mm-hmm.
3: and for nine months this kid has been on that routine, yep. right, in utero, yep. Yep. and all the people in that church have been watching and following the progress of that family. Of that
2: child's growth, yeah. In
3: that nine-month period, it sure would be cool. For everybody to kind of see how that turned out.
8: Mm-hmm.
3: And how it started, fully, how it's going, how it's going. Mm-hmm. And if it means that you got to cut the homily by about two minutes that morning to work everything in. I, I think some people are like, ah, you know, it's going to be baptism and, then, you know, everything's going to be longer. It's it, it, really not. No. And was, I think people Zeke are like, well, I won't be able to get a good house. angle, you know, for the for all the pictures I want. Yeah, come on. Have one person designate one person. Mm-hmm. They get the pictures for everybody. Mm-hmm. That had, we we were we had Zeke baptized during a regular old
8: yep.
3: the mass that we went to.
2: It was awesome. I was there.
3: Normalize it. I think it'd be awesome. Plus, then everybody gets to squeeze the baby cheeks,
2: which is, I mean, the most important thing,
3: right? Indeed. <laughs> Not really. It's twenty-one past. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine
2: go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at s o n r i s e m o r n i n g s h o w . c o m and when you make a purchase we earn a commission
3: while you're at our site pick up a mug or etched travel mug which are available in our online store get
2: your mugs and link to mystic monk coffee
7: for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com this past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe, who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah at SacredHeartRadio.com. That's Leah at SacredHeartRadio.com.
9: Hello, this is Father Mark Watkins, Pastor of St. Lawrence the St. Monica Sodality Prayer for Fallen Away Catholics. Eternal and merciful Father, I give you thanks for the gift of your divine Son who suffered, died, and rose for all mankind. You gave St. Monica a spirit of selfless love manifested in her constant prayer for the conversion of her son, Augustine. Inspired by boundless confidence in your power to move hearts, I pray the grace to imitate her constancy in my heart for those who no longer share in the intimate life of your Catholic family. Grant through my prayer that they may be open to the promptings of your Holy Spirit and return to loving union with your Church. Grant that also my prayer be ever hopeful and that I may never judge another, for you alone can read hearts. I ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen.
3: The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Father Philip LeRae from Humanity 2.0, and uh, with the increasing news about artificial intelligence in just about every area of life, it's always great to have these conversations and figure out where the church stands and what it means to be a human being. Father, welcome back. Good morning, Matt. Great to be back. I feel like every morning I wake up to about 20 new ethical issues related to artificial intelligence, uh, but this one has to do with um, AI and patents. So we see that uh, AI can uh, be programmed, as it were, to solve problems, and some of those problems may be things that don't already have patents on them, uh, the the problem solution that is. Uh, can an AI... Uh, well, I guess if if you could start us off, like where's the conversation on if an AI can be granted its own patent for, quote unquote, being an
10: inventor? It depends on what country you're talking about. Actually, the case that we are looking at uh, has been given a patent in South Africa, but it's been denied so far in the US. And the inventor of the AI is going to the Supreme Court, and I think he'll lose the case. But I'm not a lawyer. I mean, you have to understand the complexities of the the laws involved. But from what I gathered, it's because the AI does not have a legal status. It's not a legal entity. So it, it really doesn't, they're not too concerned about the AI per se, but what is its legal status? Now, copyright is different because copyright is recognized automatically without legal status. And so he may win that uh, argument. Uh, And I know in France, AIs have come up with uh, pictures and there's even one that wrote a play. Uh, There's one that wrote a symphony and they have copyrights given to the AI. So, As we go on and as these AIs get better and better and more creative, this is going to be a huge argument. So if you would like philosophically, are we going to treat AIs as if they were conscious, as if they were able to create something and then recognize their right over their own creation? And uh, Matt, I I don't know the answer to that.
3: Well, I don't know where the... The courts are going to go on that, but I do know that that raises a whole bunch of different kinds of problems because let's say a guy wants to program a robot girlfriend (laughs) and marry them. You can't marry them unless they have rights and legal standing as a a person, right? I mean, this opens all kinds of doors.
10: Exactly. And Ray Kurzweil says once general AI gets to the point where it simulates a conscious human being— We are probably going to grant it rights. Now, what you know what Ray says simulate, he says it doesn't have to be conscious, because I don't think AIs will ever be conscious or self-conscious, probably the better word, but it can simulate that to such an extent that we will grant it, we will recognize that it has rights just like we do. And so that's going to be fascinating. Let, Let me give you a quick example. Uh Google came up with the technology for self-driving cars and it's been around for a long time now the reason that this has not become mainstream is because it's very difficult to decide who's responsible for an accident in one of these self-driving cars there is no uh, driver it it, there's no steering wheel in fact and it gets in an accident who's responsible and Elon Musk had this problem too uh, when someone even actually died in a a self-driving Tesla car is who's responsible? Is it the owner of the car? So you, you buy the self driving car, you get in an accident, someone dies. Are you going to jail? Is it Google that created the car? Uh, you know, it's, it, 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 I don't think. There's a, an answer to that yet. And so I think that's why some cities like Phoenix, Arizona has allowed self-driving cars. Others, I think, are saying, wait, until we figure out the legal ramifications, we can't let this technology get out there. So Elon, for example, has self-driving cars, but he makes it 98% self-driving. And so the, the owner is still 2% responsible. So that, that's what the, how he solves the legal problem. But well you're right it's getting it's getting complex out there
3: it's getting super complex and uh, this is why we kind of have to keep on going back to this idea that no matter how um convincing these things will be uh you know we're not we haven't created the technology to create a robot soul <laughs> as, as it were um, but you've brought up an interesting question because you know the legal things uh you know that's 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 one aspect of it but you know you and I are practicing Catholics, and uh, I got to attend to my own sins, and if they are mortal, it is because they have met three conditions. right? Uh, grave matter, full knowledge, deliberate consent. It seems to me, and I'm, I haven't thought this all the way through as I'm asking it, but um, you could, uh, 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 an AI could certainly engage in something that would be grave matter, It may, even through its programming, have sort of an internal knowledge of the gravity of the matter. But consent is a really, I would think, a very difficult thing to think about in terms of programming. I mean, not that a robot can, like,
10: go to confession and be absolved. But, I mean, these are—I don't even know what I'm asking here. I mean, it's so complicated. Well, I'm just waiting for someone to bring me a robot and say, Can you baptize this, Father? Oh. Well, I (laughs) I mean— uh, I wouldn't know what to say. I'll but tell anyway, you
3: what, they're not going to ask you to baptize it, but they may ask you to marry it.
10: Yeah, exactly.
3: Yeah, great talking with you, Matt. Hey, thank you as always. Appreciate you helping us uh, pull back the curtain on some of the moral questions that are uh, facing us really fast. Uh, we've got humanity two point linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. dot Again, Sunrisemorningshow dot com. Find Father Philip Lorray and all the guests that we talk to on a regular basis here on EWTN Radio. It is half past the hour. Here's Anna Mitchell with news.
2: Good morning. Excessive heat warnings are being extended throughout parts of the US, at least through midweek. The alerts affected tens of millions of Americans over the weekend, while dangerous level temperatures hit the West and the South. Phoenix, Arizona and Salt Lake City, Utah, reached new daily highs on Saturday. Other states that saw triple digits were California, Nevada, Texas, Louisiana and Florida. The heat is also impacting Europe and Asia, putting the world on track possibly for the hottest month ever recorded. Pope Francis celebrated Mass with some six thousand elderly in St. Peter's Square in St. Peter's Basilica yesterday, and in his homily reflected on the gospel parables in light of the Third World Day for grandparents and the elderly. The Holy Father encouraged the elderly to, quote, accept the mystery of life with serenity and patience, to leave judgment to him and not to live regretful and remorseful lives. He said Old age is indeed a blessed time for it is the season to be reconciled a time for looking tenderly at the light that has shone despite the shadows confident in the hope that the good wheat sown by God will prevail over the weeds with which the devil has wanted to plague our hearts." End quote. During his Angelus address yesterday Pope Francis continued to reflect on the gospel of the weed and the weeds. From Vatican Radio, Thaddeus Jones reports.
11: Pope said the Lord describes our world like a large field where God sows wheat and the devil sows weeds. The good and the bad then grow together. Pope said we might be tempted to root out these weeds, but we risk uprooting everything, even hurting the good in an effort to create a more perfect world. From the field of the world, the Pope then described the field of the heart, where we can actually do some necessary cleanup, also since we can intervene directly. Our heart, the Pope said, is marked by wheat and weeds and is a field of freedom, and therefore it's open and vulnerable and requires constant care of the delicate shoots of goodness while identifying and dealing with the weeds. He said we need to look within ourselves with an examination of conscience to discern the good and evil in order to verify in the light of God what is happening in the field of the heart. Pope then identified a third area called the field of our neighbor, meaning the people in our lives whom we can often judge by focusing only on their weeds rather than challenging ourselves to focus on the good grain that is growing in them and that we can help cultivate. Encouraging everyone to see the beauty of what the Lord has sown in others, our world, and ourselves, the Pope pointed out that this is not a naive exercise, but one a believer must undertake, because God, the farmer of the great field of the world, loves to see goodness and to make it grow to make the harvest a feast.
12: And
11: the Pope said we should look at our own lives and how to resist the temptation to want to bundle all the grass together with sweeping judgments of others when we should try to see what is good without overlooking their weaknesses. And in conclusion, he said, may the Virgin Mary help us to cultivate patiently what the Lord sows in the fields of life. I'm Therese Jones.
2: President Biden is urging Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to not rush his judicial overhaul plan. In a statement to Axios yesterday, Biden noted he's concerned about the law that would limit the power of Israel's Supreme Court and its potential Implications. Tens of thousands of protesters, both for and against the reform, have taken to the streets in Jerusalem and Tel Aviv for months. The Patriarch of Baghdad is expressing concern about Chaldean Catholic Church property. The Pillar reports Cardinal Louis Sacco is worried that church property will be seized once he relocates. The Cardinal recently announced that he would be moving to Kurdistan after the Iraqi president withdrew a decree that recognized him as the head of the Chaldean Catholic Church. The U.S. bishops and the National Catholic Bioethics Center are expressing serious reservations about a proposal to rewrite U.S. law to expand the definition of brain death. In a letter this month, they write that the proposed revision would replace the standard of whole brain death with one of partial brain death they say this is there is no compelling evidence to allow someone to be declared legally dead when they are not biologically dead that's the news on the sunrise morning show it's 30
8: the
3: Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you.
2: Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the Monk Shot options when you check out, we'll earn a
3: commission and why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug you can find those in our online store
2: buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig
7: at sonrisemorningshow.com this past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe. Who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations to get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. Email me Leah at SacredHeartRadio.com. That's Leah at SacredHeartRadio.com.
13: This is every day with Saint Francis de Sales. To live according to the Spirit means thinking, speaking, and working virtuously not according to the senses or the desires of the flesh. But what are the virtues of the Spirit? Faith, which shows us truths beyond the comprehension of the senses. Hope, which makes us aim at the good that is invisible. And Charity, which makes us love God above everything else and our neighbor as ourselves. Not with a purely natural or self interested love, but with a love that is pure, firm, and solidly founded on God. For Sacred Heart Radio, this is Father Chris Armstrong.
3: The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swain, joined now by Father John Gavin, SJ, and he is author of Mysteries of the Lord's Prayer. We've been going through the Catechism of the Catholic Church and looking at the various places where the Church Fathers are quoted. Today we're going to look at St. Cyril of Alexandria on the unity of the Church. Father Gavin, good morning. Good morning. So give us a sense of St. Cyril of Alexandria before we dig into what he says and where he says it.
14: Sure. Uh, St. Cyril of Alexandria was the patriarch or bishop of the city of Alexandria in Egypt uh, during the first half of the fifth century. And he was espe- he's especially known for being involved in the Nestorian controversy uh, against uh, who was the, the patriarch of Constantinople and uh, the question of the unity of Christ, uh, the two natures of Christ. Both fully human and fully divine, and so uh, he was very much involved in that, and leading up to the uh, Council of Ephesus in 431. So he's a very important theologian, but also, what we see here, an important biblical commentator as well. The quotation in, in the Catechism here comes from his commentary on the Gospel of John.
3: So then, if he has all that to say about Christ, and then the church mm-hmm. is the body of Christ. Then what does He have mm-hmm. to say about Christ's body, the church?
14: Well, what we see here, uh, as I said, it's coming from the uh, His commentary on the Gospel of John, and He's actually commenting in this section on uh, John seventeen, twenty to twenty-one. He writes, "I am." Uh, well, Jesus says, "I am not asking on behalf of these alone, but also for those who believe in Me through their word." that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. And he looks at that, and he does something that the fathers do regularly. You use Scripture to unlock Scripture. And he asks, how, how can we be one uh, as Christ, uh, Jesus and the Father are one, Christ and the Father are one? And so he goes to uh, Ephesians 4, 3 to 6, and in there he sees, in verse 3, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. And he says that that, that point of unity, what unites us, Father, Son, and Spirit, what unites us to the Trinity as a Church, is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so that's, that's his move that he's making here. It's through the Holy Spirit that this union is formed.
3: You know, this is such a powerful question because, you know, he's coming at it uh, very clearly from a sacramental worldview. So yeah. uh, this is not like a subjective sense of like I feel like I have the Holy Spirit. You know, like right, you, it right. sometimes happens in other ecclesial communities, right? And the kinds that I grew up in, mm-hmm. that was that was the case. Or, or when it says in this quote from paragraph seven thirty eight, as the power of Christ's sacred flesh unites those in whom it dwells into one body, this is a Eucharistic language. Um, mm-hmm. there's a sacramental uh, sort of unity to the body of Christ, uh, which I think is kind of a, kind of a check on you know where sometimes our head goes as Americans, which is you know the body of Christ is one uh, to the extent that we all agree on the same agenda mm-hmm. items, <laughs> and that 's important right, right. right? but that 's not ultimately the glue that holds it all together. The glue is sacramental it 's Trinitarian.
14: Absolutely, and in fact, uh, even the introduction to this passage in the Catechism talks about how the Church is to be sacramental in uh, making visible to the world the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. But as you pointed out, uh, there's this Eucharistic uh, language there as well, the, the body of Christ, the flesh of Christ. Uh, it, it is in the Eucharist. And then also the echoes of baptism here in those sacraments, especially for Cyril, that uh, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit takes place, right? Uh, when we are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, when we receive the Eucharist, the body of Christ, it is then that we uh, receive that uh, the Holy Spirit. And of course, he doesn't speak about quite echo confirmation here, but, but that anointing Uh, that takes place in confirmation, uh, that too, he's always pointing back to the sacraments.
3: You know, I'm reminded, and I'm going to have to paraphrase from memory of of our good friend St. Irenaeus, who Mm -hmm. talks about these churches that are all over the world in his time, uh, right? The Mediterranean Basin, Mm -hmm. essentially, and and beyond, and that they're all proclaiming the truth as though they had one voice, (laughs) right? As though it was one mouth saying these things. I mean, that's kind of the image that I'm getting here as well, of what it means to be bound together in a single body uh, that, by this glue of the Holy Spirit,
6: as it were.
14: Yes, and when we speak about that unity, of course, I, I think uh, we're talking about not simply the present with all the different cultures and languages where we see the presence of the Church throughout the world, but he's talking about also uh, the past, yeah we're in continuity and union with the church uh the church of all times and uh also the communion of saints right uh in union with them so this unity of the spirit uh yeah it's not just isolated to my particular city or my parish but it spans both time and eternity i mean that's 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 an overwhelming idea when we really look at it. Uh, We're united with the saints even now as the Church. It's a beautiful, beautiful idea.
3: Well, and it's a really interesting way to kind of keep us accountable to one another as well. As St. Cyril says in this passage, again, this is in paragraph 738 of the Catechism where it's quoted if you want to look it up. Uh, But it says, If Christ, together with the Fathers and His own Spirit, comes to dwell in each of us, though we are many, still the Spirit is one and undivided. It's not like... You got your holy Spirit and I got mine <laughs> i mean we're we're all right. accountable to the same holy spirit uh you know to to the extent that you and I are our own quirky individual unrepeatable persons that's great, but ultimately it's not like you got a different holy spirit
14: than i did right and it's it's not like something you divide up into pieces, you get your part my uh but rather yes it's it's that one indwelling of the spirit, and of course what we're Uh, what we desire to grow in is to be ever more receptive and responsive to the Holy Spirit. I mean, the the one to whom we look to as the the perfect model of that, of course, is is the Blessed Mother, right? Uh, In her fiat, her yes uh, to God, to become the Mother of God, uh, I mean, that is through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I mean, her whole being is responsive uh, to that gift, and so uh, we, we see that in the saints, of course. You know, they, they become ever more responsive to that gift of the Spirit uh, in forming the Church, and that's what we desire as well.
3: Well, Father Gavin, I love our segments because, you know, in seven minutes we manage to talk about the Catechism, the Church Fathers, systematic theology, a little Mariology, and a little Scripture scholarship. <laughs> so thank you for employing the full range of your Jesuit training. Thank you for having me. God bless. And we've got your uh, book, Mysteries of the Lord's Prayer, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Really rich discussion of the Our Father in that book. Um, and again, it does the same thing we do in the segment, which is rely on the Church Fathers and what they had to say about these very things. We're back right after this with headlines and Anna Mitchell. It's a quarter till.
6: Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective, while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com.
9: For over 500 years, the church-honored spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola have formed many saints. This treasured way of personal prayer with God is now available to you for free. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com and bring Ignatian Prayer to others. Lord Teach Me to Pray is approved by the USCCB. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com. That's lordteachmetopray.com. Lord Teach Me to Pray underwrites the Sunrise Morning Show.
3: Do you use a single-brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you.
2: Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the Monk Shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission.
3: And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store.
2: Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com.
7: What's stopping you from becoming a Catholic? Why can't women become priests?
15: I don't understand why I have to earn salvation. How
7: is it possible that God created
16: everything? Why do I need to confess my sins
15: to a
1: why priest? Why is the Catholic Church so unwilling to wreck? The Catholic Church
7: is too rich. Catholics worship Mary and our community. As far as I'm concerned, all religions are equal.
10: You are called to communion with Dr. David Anders. Today, 2 p.m. Eastern on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.
3: 13 minutes before the hour, here's Anna with headlines.
2: Excessive heat warnings are being extended throughout parts of the United States, at least through midweek. Pope Francis celebrated Mass with some 6,000 elderly yesterday for the World Day for grandparents and the elderly. And the U.S. bishops and the National Catholic Bioethics Center are expressing serious reservations about a proposal... To rewrite U.S. law to expand the definition of brain death. Next newscast coming up in about 14 ish minutes from now as the Sunrise Morning Show continues here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Father Patrick Briscoe, editor of Our Sunday Visitor. Good morning, Father
15: good morning great being with you
2: it is great to have you so we just celebrated the world day for grandparents and the elderly which is celebrated just ahead of the feast of Jesus's grandparents st. Joachim and Anne and today we're going to be talking about intergenerational living first of all father what would you say is the importance just in general of grandparents
15: well, one of the things that Pope Francis says that I really love is that grandparents are keepers of wisdom, and they, they have a role in family life of preserving memory and handing down, handing down those traditions. And I think, that, I think that role is so important because it's that storytelling that allows someone to, to find an identity. When there are stories that are passed along uh, down, down the line in families, and they're known and loved. The hearers become, become part of that story, and they find a place in it. So the, the idea that a grandparent is a wisdom figure, I think, I think, is really key.
2: That's really interesting. It sounds a lot like the Church, Father.
15: <laughs> no, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, I think that part of, what, part of what grandparents hand down is a model for living the Catholic faith and that seeing seeing a lived person seeing a grandparent seeing someone you love seeing a lived person having adhered to the faith their whole life provides a model for for young people to know that okay that this is this is how it works
2: yeah absolutely now i know that there are are certainly exceptions to this but i would say that most kids these days do not grow up living in a home with their grandparents. I mean, there's been this rise in nursing homes and assisted living facilities in recent decades. And so you don't see all of the generations in one home like, like you may have, you know, 50 or more years ago. So what does intergenerational living look like today, do you think?
15: That's right. I think So I don't think that in order to, to have a full-fledged intergenerational living, I don't think that means that we all have to be under the same roof together. Mm-hmm. But I do think it means that conversation needs to be flowing among the generations, and um, because you can, live, you can live with someone, you can live closely alongside someone, someone can play a, a very important role in your life um, with, without necessarily being in the same In the same space together. So I think part of, I think part of what needs to happen from young people and in our Catholic families is wherever our grandparents live, we need to make sure that they play an integral role in our life, that they're present at whatever events they can be present in, that we pick up the phone and have conversations flowing to and from, that we share, that we share as much of our life as we can, offering photos and videos of whatever we're up to.
2: And, you know, you, you mentioned this in an editorial over at Our Sunday Visitor that we have all these gadgets now. Kids have all these gadgets. Use them for good. Use them to, to record these memories so that you can have them for years and years to come, long after your grandparents are gone.
15: Exactly. I mean, part of it's just physiological, the way that, you, that memory works. But we're hearing now from my grandmother childhood memories that we never heard before, things that she never talked about that are coming up that are incredibly precious. So you
2: still have grandparents around, Father?
15: I do. Well, my, my one grandmother, my mother's mother, she's still alive.
2: Oh, so how often do you get to talk to her?
15: Well, more and more and more and less frequently. You see, I'm one of a herd of grandchildren, so if I called every day. <laughs> it's, all, it's all the poor woman would do. Uh, but she just turned 90, so we had a big, so big family celebration for her this summer. Wow, it God was really grand. Her.
2: Yeah. So, Father, you know, I as I was thinking about this conversation that we were going to have this morning, I was thinking back to some memories that I have of my grandparents. There was a year when, uh, in between college and when I got my first job that I didn't have much to do because I didn't have a job yet. And, uh, I ended up getting, I guess you could say kind of assigned to taking my grandma to her Friday hair appointments and then to, uh, the grocery store. And, I cannot tell you just how much I cherish those moments now, just getting to sit down at her table and eat one of the cookies that she bought with her and just talking about anything. I don't, honestly, I don't remember much of the content of the conversations, but just being around my grandma in those moments. Um, I'm wondering if you might be willing to share with us a story about any of your grandparents.
15: Oh, that's incredible. Uh, my Well, let's see. The thing that immediately comes to mind, I was just talking to my parents, actually, about my grandfather. This is my dad's father, whose goal was to water ski until he was 70. Wow. uh, Which he achieved. Uh, But the thing about the way my grandfather water skied that was so funny was that he basically insisted on trying to drive the boat from the skier position. And for, for anyone that's ever water skied, Uh, you know that that's not possible when you're the skier. You're just along for the ride, and the driver's going to go where they're going to go. And it's loud, so you can't, like, yell things, and gestures don't necessarily indicate where you want to go unless you've choreographed them carefully. So he gave my grandmother, my dad's mother, such a hard time when when she was driving the boat because he was trying to drive the boat as the skier.
2: Did he ever achieve 30, 30. the uh said goal of being able to drive from the skis?
15: <laughs> no, he never got that, but he did, you know, he did get his goal like I said of skiing until he was 70, so he's very proud of that.
2: That's very impressive. So father, if you if you were talking to a kid right now, and honestly, you probably are talking to a kid right now because their parents have the Sunrise Morning Show tuned in on the radio right now. What would you tell them? Why do we need to know the stories of the past? Like silly stories like my grandpa wanted to ski until he was 70.
15: I think the best the best part about these stories is that they give us a perspective on life as we're living it now because I think there's a great temptation to believe that the present is all that exists, to believe that the approach to and what I mean by that is to believe that we the approach to the problems we have today, the approach to the challenges that we have today that these have always been the same and if we hear the stories from the past stories which you know can be can be silly which can be humiliating, they provide they provide a framework for us to work out of a grounding for us to encounter more than just the presence mm. and we become people with with deeper roots people people who who have a richer history than 30 seconds ago on tiktok yeah. oh my gosh
2: you are not kidding father for sure and then of course for those of us who have grandparents that have gone before us marked with the sign of faith we still have the opportunity to be connected with them through prayer amen We've been talking to Father Patrick Briscoe. You can go read the editorial on this over at OurSundayVisitor.com. Father, it was so good talking to you. Thank you.
15: Hey, great being with you. Have a happy Monday.
2: You do the same, Father. Thank you very much. All right, we got another hour of the Sunrise Morning Show coming up for most of our affiliates as we continue here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Hope you can stick around.
17: Family.com.
8: Arise, it's a new day. Here is
3: It is is Monday, the 24th of July. Let's begin this morning, as it's a work week for many of us, praying for those who are not headed to work today, a prayer to St. Joseph for all who are unemployed. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Silent and well-known carpenter in Nazareth, model of workers, by the work of your hands you gave your contribution to the work of the Creator. You earned your living and you provided for the needs of the Holy Family. Intercede for all workers in the difficulties of their daily lives, especially for the unemployed, and their anxieties for tomorrow, so that through the guidance of God, the great architect and builder, they all may use their strength and talents to make visible God's new creation, to offer a concrete service to society, and to earn wages worthy of their efforts. With confidence and trust, we make through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. St. Joseph, pray for us, pray for all who are looking for better work or for work in the first place. Uh, I know that's many of you listening this morning because it's kind of a wild a wild world out there. Uh, it is the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swain, Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Ackman at the controls. We'll talk to Teresa Tamio from EWTN and Ave Maria Radio's Catholic Connection this morning. Uh, Dina Dwyer-Owens has been sharing some thoughts from her experience of the Camino de Santiago, which is on my bucket list, and it's been kind of cool to live through Dina's experience of that. Danielle Bean will talk about uh, finding the fortitude to do hard things. And then Stephanie Mann has some thoughts on the Welsh Martyrs. And we talk a lot with her about English Martyrs. Today we're going to talk about Martyrs of Wales. So stay with us if you can. Right now it is two minutes past. News of Service. Of central fabricators and centralfabricators.com here's anna mitchell
2: good morning there are more excessive heat warnings in place throughout parts of the united states this week the alerts have affected tens of millions of americans over the weekend and dangerous level temperatures as dangerous level temperatures hit the west and south phoenix arizona and salt lake city utah both reached new daily highs on saturday other states that salt triple digits include California, Nevada, Texas, Louisiana, and Florida. Pope Francis celebrated Mass with some 6,000 elderly yesterday. In his homily, reflected on the gospel parables in light of the Third World Day for grandparents and the elderly, From Vatican Radio, Linda Bordoni reports.
18: Jesus' first parable, said the Pope, notes that wheat and weeds grow next to each other in the same field, which therefore reminds Christians to be realistic in our outlook on life. In human history, as in each of our lives, there is a mixture of light and shadows, love and selfishness, he said. Good and evil are intertwined to the point of seeming inseparable. He recalled that the elderly often look back on their lives with nostalgia and the desire to undo past mistakes. Yet, he said, Jesus invites grandparents and the elderly to accept the mystery of life with serenity and patience, and to leave judgment to him. (inaudible) Old age is indeed a blessed time, said the Pope, for it is a time to look tenderly at the light that has shone despite the shadows. Pope Francis then turned to the second parable about the tiny mustard seed. Growing up and growing old, he said, resembles the growth of the mustard seed into a large tree, where others can find shade and comfort. Grandparents, he added, offer a place for children and grandchildren to learn the warmth of a home and tenderness. In this fruitful exchange, he said, we can learn the beauty of life, build a fraternal society, and in the church be enabled to encounter one another and dialogue between tradition and the newness of the spirit. Turning to the third parable, which speaks of mixing yeast and flour to make dough rise, Pope Francis said intergenerational exchange can push aside individualism and selfishness so that elderly people are not marginalised or abandoned in their loneliness. In conclusion, the Pope urged young people and the elderly to share their gifts and grow together in mutual support and care. I'm Linda Bordoni.
2: During his Angelus address yesterday, the Holy Father urged action to save migrants in North Africa. Vatican News reports the Holy Father called attention to the need for world leaders to come to the assistance of migrants trapped in the deserts of North Africa. He said, quote, I appeal in particular to the European and African heads of state and government for urgent relief and assistance to these brothers and sisters. He said, may the Mediterranean never again be a theater of death and inhumanity. May the Lord enlighten the minds and hearts of all, inspiring sentiments of fraternity, solidarity, and hospitality. He also prayed for the victims of flooding in South Korea and called again for action on climate change. He said, I renew my appeal to leaders of nations that something more tangible be done to limit polluting emissions. It is an urgent challenge and cannot be postponed. It concerns everyone, he said. Secretary of State Antony Blinken says Ukraine has retaken about half of all Russian-occupied territory in the early days of Kyiv's counteroffensive. Appearing on CNN yesterday, Blinken called it a, quote, very hard fight as Ukraine battles to take back more ground against strong Russian defenses. Blinken also said he expects the Ukrainians will eventually succeed given the training and support that they've received from more than 50 countries. UPS and the Teamsters Union will return to the bargaining table this week. Mark Mayfield reports.
1: Contract negotiations that will resume Tuesday are aimed at averting a strike by 340,000 UPS workers. The Teamsters five-year labor deal with the shipping giant expires on July 31st, one week from Monday. A strike could paralyze many supply chains and do tremendous harm to the economy. I'm Mark Mayfield.
2: And it was all about Barbenheimer this weekend at the North American box office. Greta Gerwig's live-action feature Barbie was the top movie in the U.S. and Canada, earning $155 million in its first weekend of release. The success marks the biggest opening for any film directed by a woman. Coming in second was Christopher Nolan's biopic Oppenheimer, which made $80.5 million in its debut weekend.
12: All right,
3: so... Can I make uh, a confession? Which one did you see?
2: Okay, neither. I Okay,
3: then you have nothing to confess to me. Well,
2: I am a big, big fan of Greta Gerwig's Little Women.
3: Okay, I'm and assuming that this so, is just Little Women with like... And I also very houses. much
2: enjoyed Greta Gerwig as an actress in the movie Frances Ha. And so I kind of want to see Barbie... Okay, because I've heard, it's a satire, Matt. It's not actually a kids' movie.
12: <laughs> well, <laughs> so uh, nothing is a really, children's movie anymore.
2: Really makes yeah. me want to see Barbie.
3: Well, did you ever see Josie and the Pussycats, um, um, which was a spinoff of the Archie yeah. comics, and yeah, it was supposed to be this like, it. bubblegum girl pop band, but in fact, it was like actually a really kind of tongue-in-cheek critique of the music industry and consumerism.
8: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
3: I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe we do end up with uh, Barbie as a critique of you know, materialist consumerism and Oppenheimer as a critique of scientific materialism and the cult of progress.
2: Imagine that.
3: Or maybe we just get like, some people who want to see sparkly things and watch stuff explode. I don't know. I never know where the moral compass of America is, Anna Mitchell.
2: Well, if I ever get around to seeing Barbie, I'll let you know what I think.
3: I'll let you see it for me.
8: Okay.
2: I also want to see Spider-Verse. I want to yeah,
3: see The Little priority. Mermaid. Spider-Verse is probably your priority. You think so? I think so. Mm, okay. I don't have time to watch movies. I know, neither do I. I have children. Yeah. Teresa Tamio now joining us <laughs> from EWT and Ave Maria Radio's Catholic Connection. How are you, Teresa?
16: I'm well. Happy Monday. How are you?
3: I'm doing well, and uh, you got some interesting stuff from some teachers regarding social media that I know that you're going to be talking at. Uh, about at length on your show but give us a little bit
16: well i think it's a mixture of good and bad news i'm always glad when i see people different organizations speaking up and addressing the media issues especially addiction with social media and uh, this is a direct tie-in to and even mentioned this in in their study this is a direct tie-in to the recent surgeon general's report that came out if you recall on social media and mental health but the problem i have with this is you have these these unions american federation of teachers and others who were really going after parents during COVID, when parents were noticing a lot of problems with their children's education because the kids were being schooled online, the parents came in to speak up. Many of these uh, teachers' unions and teachers themselves were caught uh, on mic or off mic. They thought they were off mic saying horrible things about parents. and how parents don't know what they're talking about, and they shouldn't be involved. And now, because social media is causing big disruptions, to the point where they came up with this report, Likes versus Learning, The Real Cost of Social Media for Schools. Now, part of their plan is to work directly with families. So, while well, on the one hand, I'm glad they're doing this. On the other hand, it's like, well, this is what parents were raising concerns about during COVID. And so now they want parents involvement when it's affecting them personally in a negative way. But before, they want complete control over their children's lives. And if you look at some of the studies, for example, if you look at the report from the Surgeon General, and he gives some detail that COVID – was a big source of a big source of the problem that a lot of kids got even more involved and hooked on the Internet and other social media outlets or the social media sites because they were spending so much time online. So I think it's really interesting. I'm glad they're doing it at the same time. I wish they would admit that they would be honest and they're part of the problem.
3: Well, you know, it is one of those things where, I, I mean, people don't realize how much the Church has to say about this question. That's uh, right of involving parents in the education of their own children is not how the church approaches it. It's uh, parents are the educators of their children and we can involve the schools. (laughs) Right. And we get this backwards on so many, so many levels because it's, it's, it's easy to make that kind of mental leap. Well, these are the trained professionals who have master's degrees in child psychology and uh, secondary English education. And, that means that they should be very good in a classroom, but at the end of the day, it's still your kid. <laughs> you right. know, it's still your right. kid, and you are the person who's got to figure out uh, you know what shows they're allowed to watch and how late they're allowed to stay out and whether they're going to have to eat their green beans or not. And this mm-hmm. is stuff that you know you can involve and you should have a relationship with your school to the extent that that's a possibility. You know, schedules are insane, but at the end of the day, I mean it's your kid.
16: Well, the report says that they have five priorities, and one of them is directly engage and work with schools and families. They didn't want anything to do with families and parents during COVID. They kicked families out. Parents were arrested. They were called terrorists in some cases when they showed up at the school board meetings. So I think in addition to talking about this issue, they should be apologizing and saying, you know what, we didn't realize how important the parental role was. Now, for Catholics, as you said, that should be a no-brainer because it's who we are as a faith, and the Church is very clear. But we have to start realizing, this in terms of these organizations. You mentioned the experts, right? Well, Dr. Agarendi always says, do the experts have your worldview as a Catholic parent? Now, the majority of these people who are going to be in the public system probably don't. So that's another thing that's that's really important for parents to stop and think, okay, who am I allowing? To educate my children. There's a big problem with that. I mean, I'm, I'm several years older than you when I was growing up where our parents didn't feel, this is a lot of people who, right, they weren't, they were catechized by the culture and not by the church. The parents didn't feel qualified to teach the faith, and left it up to the schools and the parishes, and that period where catechesis was really lacking, and that's one of the reasons why Catholic Answers, a wonderful program that was founded by the whole ministry, that was founded by Carl Keating, that's how the whole thing came about. So your point is so well taken that we have got to get back to the basics and be more and more involved, but I do think in all honesty that these groups just started admitting that, you know what, we made some mistakes, especially during COVID.
3: Well, and I think one of the mistakes that uh, that was made is that it became less about education, more about psychology, <laughs> right? And, uh, and control. If you're an educator. Yeah, if you're an yeah. educator, then your job should be to kind of teach the material and find the best way to present the material in it. Right. Uh, you know, instead of appointing yourself as, you know, a, a, a school counselor, you know, sort of arbitrarily. And, you know, I think also, too, Teresa, and this is probably much a, a much larger conversation, is... That if you're, you don't counsel out of a vacuum, you counsel out of a worldview, and your anthropology informs how you counsel, your theology mm-hmm. informs how you counsel, um, your sexual ethic informs how you counsel. And, you know, you, you, you get into this death spiral where you start asking kids these questions that make them sadder, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So if you're just asking kids all the time, like, um, how depressed are you today? Because we're trying to measure how depressed kids are, like you start mm-hmm. kids thinking to themselves, Well, maybe I am depressed. And maybe mm-hmm. they are, but it gets to be this sort of death spiral of stuff as opposed to like you know, this this question of like how do we form the whole human person, which is the question that should be informing Catholic education and does. There are many good Catholic educators right. that that do that sort of thing. But when you're getting a public school that doesn't have a unified worldview or that has a worldview that's being constantly tried to figure it out by the state and they're trying to form a whole person then you're going to run into big problems and you're going to end up with a lab instead of a classroom
16: well if you look at who's behind this study, it's it's interesting because you have the American Federation teachers and they have this group called Parents Together so it sounds very good, I went on their website, well you talk about different uh, world view in terms of who you are in terms of what you believe sexual ethics are they're all for pushing particular ideologies including transgender and the LGBTQ ideology so they're teaming up with this organization they're both saying that there's a problem with social media, but where are these kids getting these ideas, really, for a lot of these these things they say they're feeling or believing? Well, it's social media. So, again, it's, this is kind of a circular thing where, okay, yeah, we see this as a problem, but you've got to admit that you're part of We all have to admit that we're part of the problem. Like, example, if we have a problem with media, Nobody is forcing you, putting a gun to your head, to pick up that phone. So you, you have to have some self control and you have to take responsibility for it. This it seems to me like, again, I'm glad they're addressing this, but it seems to me like a big blame game when they're not looking at themselves and what they're going to do differently. Yes, now all of a sudden they want parents involved, but what are they going to be doing specifically? Sounds to me like they're just upset because it's causing disruptions in their classroom. Maybe I'm being too insensitive. But I just talked to so many parents during COVID uh, who had kids in public schools who were just desperate to try to get involved, and the school would have no part of it.
3: I have an easy solution, Teresa. What's that? Um, The people in your parish who are upset by this and whose kids are grown up and have lost the faith, tell them to just dump all their money into Catholic schools so we can send all these kids to Catholic schools for free. And pay well, teachers, like, I, you lots know what—that's a good idea. A, and
16: not that every, not that any, any school is perfect, but certainly if you're, as you said, if you're going to be, be in a Catholic environment, you know, with the worldview uh, from a Catholic perspective, that's much healthier and much, much different, but much, much healthier.
3: Yeah, and uh, like I say, we got, you know, Catholic schools need their own, you know, ongoing reforms as well. But uh, man, it sure would be great if some of these people had other options than the one game in Amen. town for most of them. Well, thank you so much, Teresa. I'll be listening.
16: Thanks, good morning. to talk to you have a great week.
3: You do the same. 17 past. We're back right after this with headlines.
17: Born from the heart of St. Daniel Comboni, the Comboni missionaries have served the poorest and most abandoned people in the world for more than 150 years. The Comboni's improve quality of life with resources like food, clean water and medicine. They provide vital education in schools and spiritually minister through the sacraments, all while preparing local Christian leaders to serve their people now and in the future. Find out more at ComboniMissionaries.org.
5: Are you looking for peace, longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into a suffering world work for the new evangelization go to lordteachmetopray.com order your free digital training and manual find true happiness and everlasting joy go to lordteachmetopray.com and click on the red button
3: today it's free approved by the usccb tis the season for iced tea if you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy the carmelite monks of wyoming have a number of options including lemongrass mint ginger orange and blossoming jasmine
2: Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at SONRISEMORNINGSHOW.COM and when you make a purchase, we earn a commission.
3: While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store.
2: Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at SUNRISEMORNINGSHOW.COM
17: EWTN is available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. If your cable or satellite provider doesn't carry EWTN's full programming lineup, Give them a call and let them know you would like to receive EWTN 24 hours a day,
9: seven days a week. For more information, go to EWTN.com and click on television.
3: 19 minutes past the hour. Here's Anna with headlines.
2: There are more excessive heat warnings in place throughout parts of the United States, at least through midweek. Pope Francis celebrated Mass with some 6,000 elderly yesterday for the third World Day for grandparents and the elderly. And the U.S. Bishops and National Catholic Bioethics Center have written a letter expressing serious reservations about a proposal to rewrite U.S. law to expand the definition of brain death.
3: Sounds like a topic for Bobby Schindler later this week. Indeed. You know, I was tongue-in-cheek about just, like, dumping all our money into Catholic schools and letting your whole neighborhood go there for free. But, you know, Anna Mitchell, it would be pretty great Mm -hmm. if we had more parish support for Catholic schools, not just so more kids and families could afford them and we could offer them as a free service of evangelization to our whole community, but also so we could keep teachers, because... Dude. how How many people have you met... Who are really amazing catholic educators and uh doing incredible things until they got married and had kids and couldn't afford their charity job anymore
8: Mm
16: -hmm. yeah yeah
2: it's true the um you know looking at at my kids school for instance the it yeah we need to be able to pay our teachers a living wage Absolutely,
3: absolutely. Well, not just that, but very often Catholic school teachers are already kind of dialed in on mission because they know they're making less than public school teachers. Mm -hmm. It'd be cool if that was the opposite. I don't know. It's 21 past. Iced Tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including Lemongrass Mint, Ginger Orange, and Blossoming Jasmine.
2: Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission.
3: While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store.
2: Get your mugs and link to Mystic
7: Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, leah at sacredheartradio.com. That's leah at sacredheartradio.com.
17: Lord Jesus, who loves us so much, we have not loved you as we easily might have, nor served you enough in our neighbor as we could have. We are truly sorry for this unfaithful love and promise to do better in the future because you accept everything that we do in God's grace when done in a spirit of love and obedience as reparation. We now offer you and your heart our every thought, word, deed, and suffering in union with your own sufferings. Join our reparation to that which you ceaselessly offer to the Father in the Mass and in the silence of the tabernacle. Help us to suffer lovingly and to aid those who suffer. Make your redemptive love fruitful in the hearts of all those who will die today so that all of us may love you forever in heaven. Amen.
2: (laughs) Dina Dwyer-Owens back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show, former co-chair of Neighborly. She's an author and a speaker. You can download her Create Your Culture or Your Better Future workbooks over at her site, dinadwyerowens.com. Good morning, Dina. Good morning, Annie. Your pilgrimage. We talked to you last time, about a month ago, about your sort of your initial reflections uh, just coming off of a pilgrimage walking the Camino. So now a month since that, uh how has this pilgrimage continued to sink
4: in? I'm I'm really still working on digesting it. It's it's so interesting how this is taking me some time. In fact I I've decided I really need to get away and uh have just booked a, a day silent retreat early August to just slow down and uh I took a lot of, I did a lot of journaling um, on the pilgrimage. So I want to go back and really review those, even though for the first week I got back every morning in uh, Daily Mass and Adoration. I, you know, I spent time reviewing those. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's time to really slow down and let it sink in again. And I think I need a full day uh, to do that.
2: Dina, first of all, can we talk? I mean, you don't need to reveal anything specific that you wrote in this journal, but what made you want to keep a journal while
4: you were on the Camino? We were encouraged to. In fact, they uh, even gave us, Dynamic Catholic was the group that organized this particular pilgrimage, and they gave us something called the Pilgrim's Journal, and it is, it's fantastic. It's full of uh, wonderful prayers um, and reflections and then just a lot of empty pages for, for you to fill in your thoughts before the pilgrimage, during the pilgrimage, and then as you return home. In fact, the, I think the final is, uh, it's been a week now since your pilgrimage, you know, what, what inspired you. And so as I look on that list, I've I've got quite a few things. The toughness of Christians, you know, over the years, and and this is, I think I spoke about this the last time we we talked to Annie, but the the wooden kneelers in these 10th century churches that we spent a lot of time in, and how the the, the folks that were on the pilgrimage with us, some of them, you know, in their late 70s and 80s, got down on those those, uh, kneelers uh, like it was nothing. Um, and got off of those kneelers like it was nothing you know it was just they were so committed to prayer and praising and worshiping that that just didn't phase them um and another thing i wrote down is that you know what i realized everybody's hungry for god even though they don't they may not know that that we need each other um mm-hmm. as as we are pilgrims on this journey and that even the strongest can get sick uh, there was somebody on our pilgrimage who gosh tough lady you know really strong and And she ended up with a tooth infection that really put her down. Um, And You know, very disappointing for her, of course, because she had really planned and spent a lot of time getting ready for this pilgrimage. And it came out to be something very different than what she expected. So I could go on and on. I have a whole page full of... Things that I wrote, but the biggest I think that would be helpful for the listeners is God's always planting seeds in our lives, you know, and it's what are we going to do with those seeds that He's planted, and and He's giving us a chance to plant seeds, I think, in other people's lives. So it's it's reflecting on that. I think that's what my day of of prayer is going to be: is what were those seeds that He planted on my heart, and and one of them is clear that I think I may need to host a pilgrimage because I've shared this. Yeah, I've you know I've shared my experience with so many people, and so many people are like. I've never even thought about doing anything like that. I would love to do that, but I'd, you know, I'd, I'd be afraid to go alone. And mm-hmm. so I'm considering that. Um, but you know, oh. also what are the, you know, what are the seeds again that, that I can um, help nourish yeah. in my own life? Cause I know there's some things I haven't done as a result of the pilgrimage that are in my heart and, Uh, I haven't gotten the courage to do them yet, so Mm -hmm. I've got to to get the courage up, and I think I need a little more prayer time to get there. Yeah, I'm so
2: glad you're bringing up this idea of seeds, because we are in the midst of, of readings on Sunday at Mass about the parable of the sower and how the Lord plants seeds and how depending on the fertility of the soil, those seeds could survive and, and thrive and, and really flourish or or they can be burned up. And I love that you're talking about how we can rely on each other as as members of the body of Christ to help each other till and keep that soil. Can you talk about that just a little bit more? The the importance of having each other, our fellow Christians, on a journey.
4: Yeah, and, and we are on a journey. So that's another big reminder in this wonderful book that we received. You know, talked about a pilgrim or a tourist, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, tourists wants everything to be just right, just as they planned it, just as they imagined it. Running around, you know, doing their little trinket shopping and, you know, yep. and cramming everything in. If you don't get it all crammed in, you don't feel good about it, or, or you know. Um, are you a pilgrim? Which is very different. You know, you're looking for signs along the way. You're looking for those, those um, little seeds that others might be planting in your heart. And just as it relates to this pilgrimage, I, I did a photo, a photo book. I don't know if you've ever done one of those, but got back from the trip and thought, I want to take the, the best photos from the trip that I don't want to forget my experience with those photos. And so many of those were with the people who left something on my heart um, mm-hmm. that I would have never received, you know, had I not met them and walked beside them on this journey. And I have this one picture also. So I've got the picture with the people. Then I've got the picture of this very um, well-taken-care-of field that the seeds had just been planted. So we walked through some farmlands. Yes, you're going through some forests. You're going through some beautiful countryside and and some farmlands. There's, There's farming being done. There's cows in the field. There's this wonderful smell of those cows in the field. But I took one picture, um, of a field, and and Alan Hunt um, was beside me, and he's one of the uh, folks at Dynamic yeah, Catholic yeah, that I admire but, yeah. so much, and he said, Dina, seeds are being planted, you know, and I've got that picture, and he said that just as we were walking by this field. So just a beautiful memory, but we need each other, and we need to be uh, willing to be open with each other, too, because there's so much we can learn from one another, and having strong Christians around us just makes us better. And I, I don't know about you, but I need that. <laughs> yeah. I've got a lot of work to do, and I need other people to help me um, get there.
2: We've got Dina Dwyer Owens.com linked at sunrise morning show.com. Thank you so much for your time this morning.
4: Thank you, Annie. Keep up the God work.
2: You do the same, Dina. Thank you very much. It's half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. Excessive heat warnings are being extended throughout parts of the United States, at least through midweek. The alerts have affected tens of millions of Americans over the weekend, while dangerous level temperatures hit the West and the South. Phoenix, Arizona, and Salt Lake City, Utah, both reached new daily highs on Saturday. Other states seeing triple digits included California, Nevada, Texas, Louisiana, and Florida. Meanwhile, the heat has also been impacting Europe and Asia, putting the world on track for the hottest month ever recorded. Pope Francis celebrated Mass with some 6,000 elderly yesterday. In his homily, he reflected on the gospel parables in light of the Third World Day for Grandparents and the elderly. The Holy Father encouraged the elderly to accept the mystery of life with serenity and patience, to leave judgment to him and not to live regretful and remorseful lives. He said, quote, Old age is indeed a blessed time, for it is the season to be reconciled, a time for looking tenderly at the light that has shone despite the shadows, confident in the hope that the good wheat sown by God will prevail over the weeds with which the devil has wanted to plague our hearts, end quote. During his Angelus address yesterday, the Holy Father continued his reflection on the gospel of the wheat and the weeds. From Vatican Radio, Thaddeus Jones reports.
11: The Pope said the Lord describes our world like a large field where God sows wheat and the devil sows weeds. The good and the bad then grow together. Pope said we might be tempted to root out these weeds, but we risk uprooting everything, even hurting the good, in an effort to create a more perfect world. From the field of the world, the Pope then described the field of the heart where we can actually do some necessary cleanup also since we can intervene directly. Our heart, the Pope said, is marked by wheat and weeds and is a field of freedom and therefore it's open and vulnerable and requires constant care of the delicate shoots of goodness while identifying and dealing with the weeds. He said we need to look within ourselves with an examination of conscience to discern the good and evil in order to verify in the light of God what is happening in the field of the heart. Pope then identified a third area called the field of our neighbor, meaning the people in our lives whom we can often judge by focusing only on their weeds rather than challenging ourselves to focus on the good grain that is growing in them and that we can help cultivate. Encouraging everyone to see the beauty of what the Lord has sown in others, our world, and ourselves, the Pope pointed out that this is not a naive exercise, but one a believer must undertake, because God, the farmer of the great field of the world, loves to see goodness and to make it grow to make the harvest a feast. And the Pope said we should look at our own lives and how to resist the temptation to want to bundle all the grass together with sweeping judgments of others, when we should try to see what is good without overlooking their weaknesses. And in conclusion, he said, May the Virgin Mary help us to cultivate patiently what the Lord sows in the fields of life. I'm Dennis Jones.
2: President Biden is urging Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to not rush his judicial overhaul plan. In a statement to Axios yesterday, Biden said he's concerned about the law that would limit the power of Israel's Supreme Court and its potential implications. Tens of thousands of protesters, both for and against reform, have taken to the streets in Jerusalem and Tel Aviv for months. The Patriarch of Baghdad is expressing concern about the Chaldean Catholic Church's property. The Pillar reports Cardinal Louis Sacco is worried that church property will be seized once he relocates. The Cardinal recently announced that he would be moving to Kurdistan after the Iraqi president withdrew a decree that recognized him as the head of the Chaldean Catholic Church. The U.S. bishops and the National Catholic Bioethics Center are expressing serious reservations about a proposal to rewrite U.S. law that would expand the definition of brain death. In a letter this month they write that the proposed revision would replace the standard of whole brain death with one of partial brain death. They said there is no compelling evidence to allow someone to be declared legally dead when they are not biologically dead. That's the news you're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 past the hour.
8: The sunrise.
7: This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah, at sacredheartradio.com.
3: Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you
2: go to the mystic monk coffee site through our site sunrisemorningshow.com to browse the monk shot options when you check out we'll earn a commission
3: and why not brew it straight into a sunrise morning show mug or travel mug you can
12: find those in our online store
2: buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com
12: the baltimore catechism asks what is the sacrament of penance Penance is the sacrament in which the sins committed after baptism are forgiven. Other names for it are the sacrament of reconciliation, pointing to the effect of the sacrament, or the sacrament of confession, which describes the action of the person with the sin. But it used to be known as the sacrament of penance, pointing to what we needed to do after sin has been forgiven. Sin is remitted through baptism and yet we still have to perform penance in order to relieve its effects from our soul. Just as if cancer is removed from our bodies by a doctor, we still have to go through the healing process. So similarly, with the sacrament of penance, our sins are forgiven, and yet penance is still to be done after the sacrament so that we might remove the effects of sin in our lives. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan.
2: It's 37 minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Danielle Bean back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. You can connect with her at DanielleBean.com or at her girlfriend's community at GirlfriendsCommunity.com. And her girlfriend's podcast now being hosted by GoodCatholic.com. Good morning, Danielle.
19: Good morning. How are you?
2: I am doing great. So you want to tell us a little bit about uh, moving the podcast over to Good Catholic?
19: Yeah, this is an exciting time. I mean, it's a bittersweet time, too, because I was so grateful for the time that Girlfriends was over with Ascension. Still have a lot of admiration for the great work they're doing over there. But I recently took on a new position as VP of Digital Content over at Good Catholic, and... With that, it makes sense for my podcast to come along with me because we're really looking to grow digital media like podcasts and um, continuing with video series like Good Catholic has produced in the past and lots of great, exciting things, live events and other things that are in the works, especially to launch this fall. So stay tuned over there and you can check out the Girlfriends podcast over there, but also everywhere you ever listen to the Girlfriends podcast. None of that's going to change. If you listen on Spotify, you won't even notice.
2: Yeah, it's just a matter of which website is is hosting it, so to speak. So goodcatholic.com is where you can go if you uh, go specifically to a website to catch the Girlfriends podcast. And today we are going to be talking about standing up for yourself, which is not generally an easy thing for women to do. Why is that, do you think?
19: I don't know. We have this tendency to diminish ourselves. And I mean, some people are great at this and some women I know are great at this. And I really admire that because it really does stand out. I think this is a, a struggle many women have to kind of speak up for themselves to, in you know, inappropriate ways, you know, I think there's always a line that you can cross. And and, and maybe that's the, the problem, that we're too afraid of crossing that. That line that we won't even begin to stand up for ourselves in ways that sometimes justice and fairness really requires. So in that episode of the Girlfriends podcast, I was really looking to encourage women to consider, you know, what their basic communication habits are. And is there room for improvement here? Are you a mouse? And do you need to be a little bit more of a lion sometimes?
2: (laughs) Well, you know, Danielle, (laughs) Jesus does tell us to turn the other cheek. So Mm. how is this different
19: from that? Right. I mean, this is really speaking the truth and setting boundaries, which you are totally allowed to do. In fact, justice sometimes requires that you set some boundaries. And, you know, this is something that I thought about taking on this topic because I've thought about it a lot in my own life. My husband, Dan, who has no problem setting boundaries, (laughs) has helped me so much and has helped me to realize just how how much I struggle with doing exactly that. I mean, starting even when the kids were small, you know, I remember one time very distinctly a a little kid at the dinner table, kind of like ate his own dinner, then crawled over to my seat, crawled into my lap and then was just eating food out of my plate. And Dan, like from across the table was like, no, you know, and it hadn't even occurred to me to oh, tell man. this kid no. You know, like wait, oh, I course. should be
2: telling my kids no when they just come. Like seriously, my three-year-old every time yeah. I have anything, a drink or food, he just comes right. up and takes it from me. I, know. I didn't even well, think well, about see, that. You can
19: say no, and that was a, a yeah. See, I, this is your moment. That was my moment. Then I was like, <laughs> what? I can say no. And yes, it makes sense, and it's good for the kid, too, to realize, you know, your mom is a human being, wow. and she has her own space and her own dinner in her own plate, and you have yours. Um, so I think, you know, that that kind of thing, through the years, I've really given a lot of thought to, and, and certain situations arise where it really, I realize... I really do need to speak up for myself, even though it's uncomfortable sometimes and kind of goes against our temperament on occasion.
2: Oh my gosh, this is so good because one of the, one of the points of advice that you have here is practice. So I can just practice mm. on my toddlers.
19: That's right. That's right. Speak up for yourself, starting with your toddlers. <laughs> we will all be so proud of you. But yeah, practicing makes sense because if you feel, you know, if you generally have a quieter, more introverted personality and in this, you know, if this very conversation is making you break out in hives, then. Mm-hmm. I totally understand and realize that, you know, if you practice it, that you'll get better at it. And if you have a particular situation you need to address, you might even want to just memorize a a couple of lines of how you want to address it and, you know, approach that person. Or maybe you want to address it in an email so you can be clear and fair in what you're saying. Just find a way that you can do that. And I promise you, the more you do it, the more comfortable you're going to get doing it.
2: Yeah. And examination of conscience in a way, I I use that um, very broadly here when mm-hmm. When looking at how we conduct ourselves, particularly in like workplace settings, I would think, but i I, I right. imagine that this can this can happen anywhere when um when somebody's asking you to do something and fully expect you to not set a boundary
18: exactly. um, that
2: we often uh put ourselves out there in such a way we may not even realize it at first, that um, that make us vulnerable to being pushed around in that way.
19: Absolutely. And, and so many subtle things about our language, I think, communicate that. And, you know, so really examine the way that you, you speak. And one thing that's really interesting to me is to examine the way that you send an email to somebody. This is something oh, I've been working on. Yeah. So I can't remember if I mentioned this in the podcast, but the word just Years ago, I realized I use that all the time in email, and it's a way mm-hmm. that I kind of diminish what I am saying. Like I'm just checking in on that project. Well, no. I am checking in on that project. Like, why is that hard for me to say? right? Uh-huh. And so I banished the word just from my emails. And sometimes I find myself pretty uncomfortable not putting it in there. I really want to stick in a just or I really want to stick in a smiley emoji. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with the word just and there's nothing wrong with smiley emojis. But, you know, kind of examining the way you talk to people and the way you talk about what are very reasonable expectations sometimes, especially in a professional space, but also in our personal lives as well.
2: Yeah, you just made me break out in hives right there, Danielle.
19: (laughs) No more using the word just.
2: from my emails. Oh, man. That's probably going to be the hardest thing that comes out of this whole conversation for me. But can you talk about the role of of prayer in this? Because that's actually probably the the best place to start when you're trying to determine if and how you need to stand up for yourself.
19: Absolutely, because we need that kind of clarity. And that comes from God. That comes from being rooted in your identity as a, a daughter of a king, right? So recognize that first and foremost, and then be turning to him, you know, be praying and building up your relationship with the Lord so that you can have that kind of clarity ask for the holy spirit to inspire you if there's a particular situation you're grappling with because sometimes it is like we feel like oh do i do i need to stay silent do i need to be humble do i need to be accepting and embracing of this suffering or do i need to be speaking out and or maybe that's me being a big jerk or something and you know you kind of can get all lost in your own head that way so there's, there's no remedy quite like praying for the gift of the Holy Spirit and asking for that kind of wisdom and judgment, clarity and discernment, especially if it's a difficult situation you're facing.
2: For sure. Thank you so much, Danielle Bean. You can find her girlfriend's podcast and her site linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Matt, do you have a just problem like I do?
3: I think I'm all right.
2: Really? You don't use just?
3: No, but uh, that's because... I come from a world where, um, in spontaneous prayer, you would often hear what was called the prayer of the just. Father
2: God, we just.
3: Father, we just. Father, just. We ask <laughs> that Father, you just. <laughs> it was. Uh, it was kind of a, a word to buy you a little space um, if you're leading prayer and you're not really used to leading prayer. Or That's what we know verbal in the biz.
2: That's what we call in the biz a verbal pause.
3: A verbal crutch. Yeah. Verbal crutch. So. You know, I, I like to joke that you know people will sometimes critique Catholics for repetitive prayers, and I'm like, I don't know, man. I, uh, I think I prayed some repetitive stuff. You know, before I got into uh, got into Hail Mary land. That's mm-hmm. for sure. That's not where you were expecting this conversation. No, going, it Mitchell. was
2: not where I expected it to go. But I'm, I kind of like it.
3: Well, by the
8: go. God,
2: I just. Come to you today, Father God. To... Well, I was in I went through a Father God phase.
3: Well, it is a very easy uh, verbal pause to, to come into. Mm-hmm. but this is why I'm also very, very grateful, and I keep like this big, like ongoing it's like a, it's like a notepad thing on my desktop. yeah, and every time I find a great prayer, I'm like, "That's what I would say if I was smarter and holier. I'm like I'm copying and pasting that to my prayer uh, arsenal. Yes. So now I've got like this massive arsenal of when I when if I were to say something and it would just be dumb and wouldn't really express what I'm trying to get at mm-hmm. and be like, ah, Saint Peter Damien prayed something that I feel like gets to the heart of what it is that I'm trying to ask better than what it is that I'm trying to come up with.
2: Well, I'm much simpler than that. You know what I've been doing? Ever What's since that? doing a segment with Chris McGregor on I believe it was Saint Cyprian on the Lord's Prayer. Um, where he was like I don't understand why people don't just automatically go to the Lord's Prayer. It's what Jesus taught us. Yeah, That's been my go-to prayer. You know, like people say, you know, I have this intention. Please pray for it. I used to automatically jump into a Hail Mary, which I think is perfectly fine prayer to go to. But I've been trying to, to go to the Our Father first.
3: Well— there's a, there's a prayer that I go to all the time, and I recommend it to anybody. It may take you a little bit to memorize it, but I ended up memorizing it. Oh, I can't wait. Um, it goes like this. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner.
2: <laughs> there's another good the one. The end.
3: The Jesus Prayer.
2: There you go. There you go. Stephanie Mann joins us next. It's 13 till.
12: Lord Teach Me To Pray, the Ignatian prayer series, can now train you and others electronically to become facilitators and bring the Ignatian way of prayer to your parish. Come to know and love Jesus Christ like never before and help others do the same. Don't pass up the opportunity to join this work of the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com and click on digital training. That's lordteachmetopray.com and click on digital training.
6: Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have
3: single use coffee pods, especially for you.
2: Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com to browse the monk shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission.
3: And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store.
2: Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com.
10: Why do we need to pray? We don't pray because God needs our prayers. We pray because we need God's grace. And every day... When I face the day, I realize I have no idea what I'm doing <laughs> and I need God to walk me through my day step by step, giving me the grace, the counsel, the love, the encouragement that enables me to glorify him in everything that I do and become the person he wants me to be. Prayer is my lifeline.
2: It's eleven Till. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Stephanie Mann. You can read her bro- blog, her brog, her blog at supremacyandsurvival.blogspot.com. Stephanie, good morning.
20: Good morning, Nana. And I don't have a brogue either.
2: Brog, brog,
20: brog, brog,
2: blog. Anyway. You know, it, uh, yeah, I've been trying blog. to pronounce Welsh Whatever. this morning, so you know, I'm getting all of my, <laughs> I'm getting all my it? letters mixed up here. So uh, yeah, well. That will become more clear to uh, listeners here in just a moment. We're continuing to read through Father Bowden's Mementos of the English Martyrs and Confessors. And today we're actually getting the story of a Welsh martyr, Blessed William Davies. He was martyred July 27th, 1593. What do we know about him prior to his imprisonment and martyrdom?
20: The record is pretty scanty, just that he studied Uh, for the priesthood on the uh, continent at, at uh, Douay and then returned to Wales and served his people in, in, uh, excuse me, in Reims in France in April of 1885, 1585 returned to Wales as a missionary priest. And then seven years later, he was arrested and with four students that he was sending to Spain to study for the priesthood and imprisoned in Beaumaris castle uh, in, uh, uh, Wales, and so he was held there for about six months with these four young men who had been destined and still were destined for st- study for the priesthood in Spain. Yeah, which
2: is why there's such an interesting title to uh, yes. one of the two entries that Father Bowden has on Father Davies.
20: Right. Yes. He, he has the title, The Three Children in the Furnace, and he has the verse from the Book of Daniel uh, describing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they walked in the midst of the flame, praising God and blessing the Lord. That's Daniel chapter 3, verse 34. And what Father Bowden describes is that I guess he was kind of like their seminary leader or their are their, their, uh, preparing them. Father William Davies, blessed William Davies came up with a rule of life for himself and these four young men. And, but the interesting twist of this is they had, they had all been arrested. Well, he for his priesthood particularly and they, because they were Catholic and yet while they were in prison, they were allowed to practice their Catholic faith yeah. fully. I mean, they were saying he was saying mass. They were reading the, the uh uh the, the liturgy of the hours they were pr- uh, praying the litany of litanies of the saints and the litany of the blessed virgin mary so they were practicing their catholic faith so fully while they were being imprisoned because it was against the law to practice their catholic faith they were just a, a, a given a, quite a bit of freedom uh catholics in the uh, in wales or in the neighborhood where he, where he was captured and, and held came to him for counsel and and confession protestant ministers came to debate with him so it, they a strange way while they were in prison they were very free to practice their faith so he organized a day where they would begin first thing in the morning at 4 a.m with some oh. meditation and then they had mass uh they uh saying the uh, o Sacrum Convivium, chanted it. Uh, had time for reading and prayers. He counselled them. He gave them instruction. Uh, they read the the imitation of Christ. They prayed the Rosary, the Litany of the Blessed Virgin Mary, the Litany of the Saints every day. They went to confession twice a week and. Oh, wow, There's wow. a point that that makes that they uh received holy communion every Sunday which was kind of unusual in that times sometimes laity did not receive holy communion but they were semi basically preparing to semin- seminary so yes a very detailed orarium for uh, young men in prison
2: yeah i was going to say how how is it that we know all of this it's because um these young men who were with him actually survived correct
20: Yes, he was con- he was condemned to death. They were condemned to uh, imprisonment for life. They basically trying to make sure they didn't go to mm-hmm. Spain to study. But uh, at least one of them we know escaped and reached Spain. Went to the bishop there and explained all this detail to him. And and that bishop uh, documented it in his own book about the uh, persecution. His name was uh, Bishop Yepes, and he wrote it about it in his history. Uh, Historia particular de la persecution on Anglaterra, which mm. I think is more French than German, and uh, than Spanish. But anyway, <laughs> my pronunciation. But uh, yeah, so that's why we have this detail is that, that he was sentenced to death. And then Father uh, Bowden doesn't just, just treat, but it's interesting. People in the neighborhood did not want him. They they considered him to be a saint. They did not want to see him executed, and yet he was condemned to death and finally executed. But yes, I just think one thing is remarkable is that these young men survived, and that he had the again kind of just had that will. uh, With these martyrs, just always impress me, and I think they do you and everyone who reads about them that. Knowing you're, you're condemned to death or knowing that you're likely going to be condemned to death, yet you spend the last six months of your life in prayer and praise and the sacraments and and with the hope that you're preparing four young men for the priesthood to come back and do exactly what you've been doing. It's incredible. That's that just, just magnificent.
2: Yeah, and as you have been doing throughout this series on Father Bowden's mementos, you've been doing extra digging to get more information uh about these martyrs and confessors. So I've been trying to practice. Tell us about Idricks Christianogul.
20: This is a book that he wrote. It's uh, an English translation, which I'll use, is The Christian Mirror, (laughs) And it's a a book that he wrote in Welsh and was printed in Wales in a secret uh, printing press. There's only four copies of it uh, available uh, left, but it just shows, again, and this is before he was arrested, but the great work that these missionaries did. So he was trying to, for the Welsh people, those Catholics who were remaining true, give them a resource for prayer and meditation in his own words, the Christian mirror.
2: Blessed William Davies. Pray for us. Pray for us. Go read more about him over at Stephanie's excellent blog, supremacyandsurvival.blogspot.com. And go pick up a copy of Father Bowden's Mementos of the English Martyrs and Confessors. It's just been reprinted by Sophia Institute Press. Stephanie, it was so good to talk to you. Thank you so much
20: yes thank you god bless you thank you
2: you too stephanie thanks all right that'll do it for this national edition of the sunrise morning show
8: may god bless you and keep you and grant you his peace